it's easy to stick with the status quo, right? No one gets fired for continuing to invest in a fund that's maybe been around for 10, 20, 30 years to, to stick with strategies or, or people from a certain pedigree or background that, that feel safe and trusted and just relying on those old patterns, you're going to miss out on innovation. I feel very privileged to sit in the seat that I sit in at Pivotal Ventures where our mission is to drive social progress, create more equality and opportunity for people here in the United States. Gender is essential to that. Named one of Forbes' most powerful women, Melinda French Gates needs no introduction. Over the last 20 years, through her work at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, one thing has become clear to her. If you want to lift the society up, you must invest in women. In comes our next guest, Erin Harkless-Moore, Senior Director of Investment for Pivotal Ventures, a Melinda French Gates company created to do exactly that, to accelerate social progress in America by investing in women's power and influence. As a member of Pivotal's executive leadership team, Erin leads the organization to fund and direct investment decisions, overseeing a diverse portfolio of investments that drive breakthrough innovations and impact for people in America. With nearly 20 years of investment experience, building customized portfolios for endowed institutions and family offices, serving most recently as Managing Director at Cambridge Associates, we talk about everything from challenging the status quo to her investment strategy. You don't want to miss this. Welcome to Billion Dollar Moves. I'm Sergeant Spellings and on the show, I travel across the globe in search of the unexpected leader. Every week, it is my job to deconstruct the billion dollar moves of unicorn founders and funders, many of them underestimated long before they became iconic, many of them unexpected leaders just like you. This show is about unfiltered conversations on success, failure, fear and courage in the pursuit of the next big thing in tech and venture. Now, before we hop in here, I have a quick favor to ask you. About 80% of the listeners of this podcast have yet to hit the follow button, and it would really help me out if you would smash that follow button wherever you're tuning in from. The bigger the show gets, the bigger the guests get, and the more stories we can amplify across the global venture ecosystem so that we can all keep making billion dollar moves together. Now let's get started. As we always do in Billion Dollar Moves fashion, the first question is always context frame who you are. What do we need to know about you and your background that brought you to this work? I am a native Texan uh, turned East Coast transplant. I've spent my entire adult life between New York City, Boston, and now Washington, D.C. I'm also a mom to two kids who I have heard them described as very uh, opinionated and charged up, <laughs> a boy and a girl. So they keep me and my husband on our collective toes. And I'm an investor. My career background, I think, sort of followed a, a very traditional path. I started my career on Wall Street at, at Goldman Sachs. And I was always trying to figure out how to get more harmonization with my professional training and interests and my personal values. And when I was very early in my career, a senior partner at Goldman said to me, well, you know, in like 30 or 40 years, you can have impact. You can step back and, you know, do philanthropy, give money to stuff, invest with that lens. And that just didn't resonate with me. I, I, I was constantly questioning, like, why, why should I have to wait? And I feel very fortunate that over the last decade in my career, I've achieved that more of that harmonization with my values and the work that I do as an investor. When I was at Cambridge Associates for almost a decade and now at Pivotal Ventures, where I lead our investment team. You actually said this in one of your interviews in the past, that 
you never thought about investing as a career as a young girl growing up. Can you, you know, unpack that a little bit? How did you then have this vision of then hopping on the traditional path? Yes, you don't uh, visualize what you can't see or dream what you can't see. I grew up surrounded, you know, by many professionals in my family. My dad's a doctor. I have family members that are lawyers, that are teachers, that are nurses. So those were the paths that I thought one would pursue for for a career. Business, finance, investing was just something that had not entered my radar, and I hadn't seen people, and particularly women and black women, in those roles. When I got to college, I had some friends that had these internships on Wall Street and they came back to school talking about the energy and the fast pace, the combination of the quantitative and the qualitative, the, the people that they were being exposed to and the, the technical work that they were doing. And I said, wow, that seems like the kind of place that I would want to be. But I had no idea that it existed until I got to college and saw that as an, as an option through some peers and some friends. And, and we'll get to this with your career, but do you think that's changing? I mean, over the years, you've now uh, basically married what you believe to be your passion profit and purpose all in one. Do you think this pathway is being paved by people like you and times are changing for young women, young Black women specifically? Yes. And I'm encouraged when I go back to my alma mater, WashU in St. Louis, or, or where I went to business school at Harvard, there are so many women, women of color who are, approach me or that reach out cold and send me emails and say, I, I am doing this. I, I'm not waiting. I want a career in impact investing. I want a career doing this work. And that's the ultimate encouraging you know, factor for me is that you know, it, it's, it's not a mystery anymore. It's not something that people feel like they, they have to wait. Uh, I think the models are there. We're, we're seeing, I, I'm just one example of, of that you know, path that, that someone has been on. And, and I love sharing my story and, and being able to encourage and support other young women and women of color who are hoping to follow a similar career trajectory. Absolutely. And of course, you spent your last chapter, let's talk about Cambridge Associates, that was almost a decade of your life. And of course, before that, different stepping stones, including being at Goldman. What was unexpected in that chapter and, you know, maybe a snippet of the chapters before sure. your role? Cambridge Associates is a fantastic firm. It's one of the leading global investment firms. I'm such a proud alum. I learned there and at Goldman Sachs, how to do manager diligence, how to build portfolios to meet the objectives of a family, of an endowed institution. So that training, again, was foundational uh, and allowed me to sit in the seat that I, I sit in today at, at Pivotal Ventures. But there are challenges. And again, as we were saying about these kind of traditional models and, and ways of, of thinking, uh, you know, put a premium on track record and pedigree and background sometimes of, of you know, where a person came from or, or, or how they came to this work. And it was interesting to see that evolve over time at, at Cambridge. And I also learned that you can't move much faster than your client or than your principal. Uh, one example, I was working with an organization. There were several members of the board and the staff that wanted to bring more of an impact and values aligned mission lens to the investment strategy. And I just took that signal and ran with it. It's like, I can bring all of these managers and, you know, climate, gender lens, different strategies to the table. And then found out that there were a few holdouts around the board seat that did not want to apply that perspective and lens to the portfolio. And that led to some really challenging discussions and conversations. And ultimately we didn't end up 
committing to some of those funds, despite you know the work that I had put in to, to do the research and make those recommendations. That was a tough pill to swallow, but I learned that you can't, again, move faster than the, the people around you sometimes. And you have to build that uh, consensus, uh, get that buy-in, have the conditions of good governance and decision-making to allow you to move forward with that more impact, at least in that instance, um, lens. So this is interesting. And, and of course, I would be remiss for us not to talk about the time where uh, we are under attack. Diversity initiatives are under attack. Yes. Women of color, Black women specifically as well, at a time when we desperately need investment. And we're hearing all this pushback, right? You know, a lot of these initiatives are pulling back. Mm-hmm. Thinking back to the time when you have experienced that in your previous chapter, is this the same feeling of what's happening in the moment, you know, what was the biggest pushback and how did you address it back in the day? Back in the day, again, it's all about building that consensus and listening. I think sometimes we lose track of how important it is to meet people where they are and understand their perspectives, even if there's a difference in opinion and work to, to, build that trust and dialogue uh, together to move forward to something that's more productive. Sarah, you asked specifically, I mean, the news today is disheartening. It's it's challenging. Black women, women of color are, are under attack in, in you know, various lawsuits, et cetera, that are, that are being filed every day. As a Black woman myself, I, I feel that acutely. I, I'd say, you know, the a lawsuit against one is a lawsuit against all of us, but we're not stopping our work. I'm not stopping my work. We're not stopping our work at Pivotal Ventures to achieve gender parity in our society. We need to have women of color be a part of that full stop. And we're going to keep doing that work and pushing, but listening at the same time and bringing hopefully up. Hold that thought. Ever wondered what unicorns eat for breakfast? Okay, so I don't actually know, but I do know that 20% of all unicorn startups are using HubSpot. And for good reason. HubSpot's all-in-one platform levels up your sales, software, and support. Plus, they have a huge collection of resources to help startup scale. And with the HubSpot for Startups program, you can save big off your first year. To see if you're eligible to save on HubSpot, visit hubspot.com startups. There's along with us. Thinking about your time in Cambridge Associates when you had that pushback from clients, what can you learn from that? What can we learn from that in actually maneuvering this tough moment that we're in to be able to invest in the change we want to see? At the end of the day, the performance will speak for itself. I, I do believe that. And diversity makes us all better. We have to listen though and and really understand where someone is coming from why why they're putting up that resistance or asking those questions and it may require a little bit of going slow to to go fast as well reflecting back on some of the experiences i had earlier in my career you know, you're, you're hard charging. You're like, I, I want to get this done. I want to make this investment. I want to make this commitment. And sometimes you have to slow down and, and hear what other people are saying and, and listen and know that this journey, this fight that we're in, is it's a long one. And they're going to be setbacks. They're going to be moments that feel tough and challenging and difficult. But if you're communicating well, if you're building that trust and listening to your partners and, and respecting their perspectives and the voices around the table, I think that's when the magic happens, when you start to see that change really settle in. And the performance and the the outcomes will will show us. Again, investing in diversity, full stop, is, is 
a strategy that I think will deliver great returns to yeah. investors. And Erin, you know I'm on your side. This is the yes. work that we live and breathe every day. Yes. But there is still resistance. Why do you think there's resistance in all the years? You know, you've been at this longer than I have. Right? <laughs> Where do you think this resistance comes from? It comes from a place of, I think, just it's easy to stick with the status quo, right? No one gets fired for continuing to invest in a fund that's maybe been around for 10, 20, 30 years to, to stick with strategies or, or people from a certain pedigree or background that, that feel safe and trusted. We have to examine the incentives as well that are in place. I feel very privileged to sit in the seat that I sit in at Pivotal Ventures, where our mission is to drive social progress create more equality and opportunity for people here in the United States. Gender is essential to that. That's the the world I want to see. That's the values that our organization puts forward as well. And so we're we're pushing in that direction and see the value there. Others may not, but as I said, I think it's our job to to use our voice tell our stories, tell the stories of our partners and see the success that they're having to create new patterns so that people will see those new patterns and know that that's a way to, to drive, again, great, great outcomes for your portfolios. Looking at consultants, because you were there for a significant period of time, right? Arguably, in the recent years, we started seeing a lot with the anti-woke movement, anti-ESG and all of these things. And consultants are uh, frankly, under fire on what to do because they have client needs, they have other stakeholders, and uh, they've got their firm to run as well. How, how do you think investment consultants specifically should be thinking about this time in advising their clients and stewarding this capital? It's an excellent question, Sarah. You, consultants are often described as the gatekeepers. Uh, they work with some of the best and largest institutions, endowments, foundations, families, pension funds. All of our jobs as fiduciaries is, is again, to promote the interests of our clients and the portfolios and drive great results. And to ignore whole swaths of people, women, people of color, and investing, to me, is not being a good fiduciary. So I think it's incumbent upon the, the consultants to have those conversations. They're tough, right? Some clients may push back, may not like it. It takes time, but if you listen, if you go back to the data, uh, I think that's what's going to move the needle forward more meaningfully. Absolutely. And of course, you are now uh, stewarding the capital of one key principle at Pivotal Ventures. First, tell us a little bit about this shift. I mean, you had that question by your senior, you know, in your mind and talked to the senior partner of Goldman Sachs saying that, okay, you can make your impact later make money first, essentially, right? Build a runway for yourself first. How did you then come to find this opportunity with Melinda Gates? Every day I wake up and I'm almost wondering, is this a dream? Because <laughs> I feel like I have the best job in the world and Pivotal has allowed me to do that, to live my values every day. I was very fortunate to be approached about this opportunity to lead the investment team at Pivotal a little over three, gosh, now almost four years ago. And as I said, when I got that call, I, I thought someone was playing a prank on me. I said, this can't be a real job. Uh, and I learned quickly that it was. Melinda's commitment, her, her you know, willingness and ability to use her voice, her platform as a philanthropist, as an investor to drive change is incredibly impactful. And to sit in the seat that I sit in driving our investment portfolio allows me to do that every day, to interact with some amazing women, fund managers and founders that are building the businesses and innovation that's going to drive our economy forward. 
gender is foundational to moving our country, our, our society forward. And we use a couple of different levers at Pivotal to, to do that. Philanthropy, high-impact strategic partnerships, policy and advocacy work, and investing. All four of those are essential to moving the needle and, uh, across a variety of themes, like building a more equitable caregiving system in our country, getting more women into tech and STEM so that they can build the businesses that are going to drive innovation for our country, activating more women into public office. We're sitting here in in the Washington area, I live in DC and, and the dysfunction, frankly, that's occurring all around town and at the Capitol, if, I'd argue if we have more women in power, we might be seeing some different results. So we're trying to create the conditions for women to control more resources in our country. And investment capital is an, a, an essential part of that as well. Yeah. So I want to go back to, you know, when you first had the first meeting with Melinda and you were sort of thinking about the impact that someone like her, with her resources, her connections, capital connections, capability, right. To be able to create the change that we all want to see in the world, because we, we work with a lot of next generations, right. Who have some of that access as well. How should someone with that level of ability, right. Connections, what I call the three C's connections, capability, capital, think about where is my biggest point of impact? And how did she land on, all right, it's going to be women and girls? Melinda's long been a champion for women and girls. So for her, my sense is that's been a, her core value and, and a motivating factor for her and her life as a businesswoman, a philanthropist, and an, and an investor. So that was clear is, is our mission objective and the outcomes that we want to see and drive towards. From an investment lens, again, if we're not putting more capital in the hands of women, we're going to be locking them out of the innovation that's going to drive our country forward tomorrow. So we think, again, about the tools, the resources that that Melinda, that our principal has, that we have to deploy, and it's all of those to drive change and impact. One alone is insufficient. They all have to be working together, but the investment capital is so important. And the time is now, I, I mean, despite the work that we're doing at Pivotal, some of the data is not great, Sarah. You know, still 16% of decision makers, check writers at venture capital firms in the United States are women. Only 2% of venture funding goes to female founders, female-led teams. Let's pause for a second. I mean, 2%, that's terrible. We could be doing so much more, so much better. And that's the core of what's driving our investment strategy. And Again, us seeing the resources that we have to be able to, to, to deploy more capital against that, that problem, getting more capital in the hands of, of women investors and decision makers so that we can build the type of businesses that we want to see in our society. And you said in the past, uh, talking about philanthropic and investment capital, because I think this is an important distinction for us to uh, think about a little bit here. You have said that philanthropic capital is key to solving where market failures exist and investment in capital to expand opportunities and really unleash the potential of what already exists. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, thinking about this? Because one of the challenges I have is people think, still think years later that investing in women is charity. It's charity, yeah. No, let's, our listeners here, let's just put that myth to bed. It is not charity. Investing in women, you can make money doing it. We are proving that and, and living and showing that thesis with our strategy at Pivotal Ventures. But not to diminish the importance of philanthropy. Again, it is an essential tool to driving 
social progress, expanding equality and opportunity for more people in our country, specifically for women. But investment capital is needed as well. To give an example, we, over the past five years or so, have really been focused on the gaps facing caregivers in our country. We're all caregivers at some point in our lives, but women often bear that burden most acutely. It's a $648 billion market opportunity, the care economy is. And we see policy failures as well around that, market failures that we're using philanthropic capital to address at Pivotal Ventures. But when I heard $648 billion, my mind went to, wow, how can I get more capital in the hands of people that are creating and leveraging technology for solutions that are going to make caregivers' lives easier? And so that's that's the opportunity, right? That's where we can drive impact and also make a lot of money. We're going to laugh all the way to the bank (laughs) doing it. And I hope others join us as well. And we're seeing that. We're seeing more energy, more momentum, more capital flowing into these spaces as investors and entrepreneurs, with entrepreneurs specifically with their lived experience, build businesses to tackle some of these huge problems facing them as caregivers. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and just to really make sure we have this right here, the philanthropic capital that Melinda deploys is mostly through. So Pivotal is, is Pivotal Ventures is a separate entity from the Gates Foundation. We deploy philanthropic capital. Melinda has committed a billion dollars through Pivotal Ventures again to advancing women's power and influence and, and equity and opportunity. That includes all of those levers that I mentioned: the investing, the philanthropy, the policy work, and the strategic partnerships. Got it. And but your bucket that you're solely responsible for from an investment perspective is investment capital. It's investment capital. Yes, and, and yes. Return seeking investment capital. So market returns above market returns. That's great. Yes. Um, and we were sort of mapping this out a little bit in, in your office, you know, months ago when we were together about the strategy here, right? Yes. With the investment capital and the different levers that, that you're deploying, whether that's through fund managers. Uh, so changing the face of who writes the check, yes. some direct deals um, to drive the innovation that we want to see. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you thought about the strategy here? Love that question, Sarah. Our investment strategy has those two pillars, investments into funds that are women-owned and led to start to move the needle against those stats, the 16% of female check writers in U.S. venture firms. We want to get more capital in the hands of women that are making the decisions and backing the entrepreneurs of tomorrow. We also want to deploy capital directly as an investor into companies that are tackling and some of the big problems and innovations that will create better solutions for caregivers, that care economy that we've been um, discussing. So both of those together are going to allow us to tackle the problems of, of facing female founders and, and funders. We see them as sort of very closely tied together and essential parts of our investment uh, strategy. So a billion dollars was Melinda's commitment. Um, where are we today? What's the update? Yes, we are continuing to deploy capital, scaling the portfolio of both fund and direct company investments. It's exciting. We've had so many, it's almost, I think of some of our, our relationships with our partners is, is a family too. And I love both my children equally. Some days I might like one more than the other. And so, you know, when you're talking and asking about our progress, it's it's hard. I would love to share with the listeners and you can go to our website and, and, and you know, as follow up and see some of our partners, you know, there. But we 
they're all building and doing amazing things. But a couple of examples, I think, that illustrate the the progress that we've made and the path that we're on. We incubated and anchored a fund at Pivotal called Magnify Ventures that's tackling that caregiving crisis, investing in technology that supports modern families. They raised $52 million, have been deploying that over the past few years now into some really interesting companies. One uh, called Milo, which is a personal assistant leveraging AI for the home. So all of the tasks that you struggle to keep up with, me as a mom, I'm like, is today picture day? Is today no uniform day? Do I have to send this book? I have no idea. My husband, bless him, he probably also has no idea. Uh, And Milo is trying to tackle that problem and ease that coordination burden that parents face. So we look to a a fund investment like Magnify that was helping to catalyze this market as, as a success as some of those companies are now growing and scaling. One other example, we invested in Impact America Fund led by Keisha Cash. They raised $112 million this year, one of the largest raises by a Black woman in venture. And they are investing in um, lower moderate income communities, Black and brown communities, the products and services that will you know uplift folks in our society as, as that team. And they raised that fund much more quickly than their last fund. And I think that's a testament to the partnership of limited partners like us and others who are willing to invest early, um, perhaps bring a more creative lens to our diligence to, to, to get to a yes and, and allow that success to, to come to bear. I love that last point there, getting to a yes. In this fundraising environment, which feels for many like a fundraising winter, Um, Can you talk to us a little bit about why that 16% number is still the reality today of women writing the checks when, you know, we see a lot more women in finance, actually, at least in the the early entry levels. The pipeline happens and all that. Talk to us a little bit about that, the structural problem that exists and how are you thinking about that? As an investor, we're in the business of pattern recognition. And unfortunately, still a lot of the patterns, we we are creating more of them every day with our investments at Pivotal and that many others are, are making, still are not enough women to, to point to. And, and as we have built our process, this is one of the things that, that makes us differentiated and, and I'd even say unique at, at Pivotal. One, we try to invest early to tackle that question you asked about the fundraising winter. It's, it is hard out there. But if we have conviction, we want to move as, as quickly as possible through our diligence to, to get to that yes, and then be a signal to others to join us around the table, sharing our diligence and being as collaborative as possible with other limited partners so that they can get to yes as quickly as possible. And we can you know, start to speed up and knock down some of those barriers that are holding women back. Also on the process front, just trying to check some of the biases that are in place. And, and this gets back to your question too, Sarah, of, of it's, it's, it's all about the patterns. I would love to see someone that has 10 years of experience at a brand name, you know, Sandhill Road firm with their audited track record. And I can look at each company and, and, and vet that. That may not exist though. And, and there are some folks that have raised funds that have that pedigree and profile, but there are many others out there that do not. And I'm constantly asking the question, what risk are we trying to assess or get, get comfortable with or, or try and minimize as much as, as in, gain an understanding around as much as we can in, the, in, in our investment diligence process? Seeing the value of someone who has maybe been an operator for a decade, 
how that fits to the strategy they want to execute. And using that as a mosaic of building a track record that, again, may not fit the traditional markers, but honors the experience that, say, this woman operator is bringing to the table that will allow her to build a fund that will be successful and, and ultimately deliver value back to us as limited partners and also to the founders that, 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 that they're supporting. Yeah, so um, I hear you all on that. And, and this is exactly the script that I have as well. But I'm going to play devil's advocate. Sure. I think it's let's, 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 let's mix, mix it up. up. <laughs> the pushback that I get a lot from LPs is, look, we're doing the access play, right? Access play meaning we have a small venture allocation, 10%. Um, I'm going to spend that on brand names. like, And, and I want to prove, even if I'm a family office, and that's a whole different topic altogether. Right. Uh, I need to prove to the patriarch that I can get into the sequoia of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, why should I take all this risk for, frankly, returns in venture uh, has not been as it seems, right? With interest rates, are things going to change? You know, what would you say to that pushback? Excellent pushback. I've heard it. I've heard it before. I go back to the data. What does the data show us? My former employer, Cambridge Associates, reams of, of data on this and has shown that emerging managers, typically funds one to four, when you look vintage year over vintage year, outperform. Funds that are five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. To me, that makes the case for, you should, sure, if you can get access to Sequoia, have Sequoia, but you should also be looking to the talent of tomorrow that's perhaps more diverse, bringing different perspectives to the table, and carving out a portion of your 10% allocation or whatever the number may be to those funds as well, because the performance is, is, has spoken for itself. And I think, you know, again, just relying on those old patterns, you're going to miss out on innovation too. Those diverse perspectives and, and backgrounds are going to bring, are going to see the challenges and problems and maybe come at them, solve them in a different in a different way. And, and I'm inspired by uh, your principle, obviously, uh, Melinda, and, and the fact that she is a very professionalized founding office through the work you do in Pivotal Ventures, right? But she is still a single principle that can drive these decisions. And for many of our listeners, actually, uh, they're in the world of family offices. Yep. They're next generations, they're inheriting, they're earning their potential, they're having exits. What would you advise families, you know, in, in thinking about their capital to do today, moving forward? Start deploying. And do collaborate as well. The family office community specifically, I've always found it to be very open. Once you're in that network, people are, are want to co-invest together. They want to do deals together with other like-minded families and, and thought partners. And so if, if you're a next gen, join some of the communities that are geared towards next gen investors and start sharing ideas and deal flow and testing out your thesis. Then get the buy-in. That's essential too. And, and that involves some of the more complicated conversations as we've spoken about governance. That's hard work, but you have to set the conditions of governance to have a successful investment program, full stop. So I'd encourage people to, to start deploying, lean on your networks and your peers, and, and make sure that the decision-making architecture around it has the space to do these type of investments that you're excited about exploring. Yeah, and and we, you know, on Bill Adams, as the namesake goes, um, it's, it's all about how do we think in a, in a large way, right? How do we impact with scale? Yes. And in Melinda's book, um, Moment of Lift, she talked about cracking the patterns of history 
right? Um, and of course, we, we touched on this slightly earlier um, with Black women being under attack right now. But what are the structural solutions that we need to be thinking about to crack these patterns of history today? Wow, that's uh, Melinda's book is great. If you haven't read it, I'd encourage you to uh, <laughs> check out check out Moment of Lift. And we have to be bold. Advancing women's power and influence lifts up all. We have to lift up all women. Women of color are essential to that as well. And I think it's bringing their voices, bringing all voices to the table to understand the unique challenges that are facing these communities and having all of us work together towards the solution. So we can't sit off in our you know, ivory towers, so to speak, and think that we have all of the, the answers. We have to sometimes be a little bit more humble and open ourselves up learning and, and being open to those different communities and, and perspectives to drive change. But it's hard. These, these barriers exist for a reason to perhaps protect some of the entrenched interests around the table. Um, so we have to, to keep, keep pushing, not stop our work. We're not stopping. Our, I'm not stopping my work. We're not stopping our work at, at Pivotal to get us to gender parity here in our society. Hold that thought. My First Million, hosted by Sam Parr and Shan Puri, is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. My First Million features amazing guests like Alex Hormozzi, Sophia Omoroso, Hassan Minaj, sharing their secrets for how they made their first million and how to apply their learnings to capitalize on today's business trends and opportunities. An episode I really liked, a recent one on how Sam's mother-in-law built a million-dollar Etsy business out of nothing. And I believe it involves hellos. So listen to My First Million wherever you get your podcasts. And and the work of so many others that we work with, right? Fund managers, GPs, LPs, um, still continues. Yes. yes. What would your advice be to them? As I mean, you've been through the different cycles, right? You've seen uh, firms start with a lot of gusto yes. and then shut, right? And I, I'm starting to see a lot of that as well. What makes a difference between a winner and a loser? Yes, you you are right. I am. I have now seen several cycles <laughs> and crises, uh, for better or for worse. But that perspective is important, and it's all about you can be a great investor, but there you have to have the the leadership, the people around you. It all comes back to the people to build an enduring franchise. That's the difference maker is setting that vision. Where do you want to go as an organization? And can you bring the talent around the table, incentivize them, compensate them, reward them, encourage them to, again, as with an investment context, to go out and find the best founders to back uh, and help them scale their businesses. But it's not just about one or the other. It's it's knitting all those things together. And I think that recognition of, of all of those pieces, that's what separates the, you know, organization that might have one or two good funds from the franchises that endure for a long time. Yeah. So if you look at Magnify Ventures as yeah. an example, what give you that conviction that, yeah, they're building a franchise here yeah. that we want to continue to be early on and say yes to? Clear thesis. You know, what is their right to win? That's a question I often always ask in thinking about what is your edge? What is your right to win as an investor? They had defined that, had a very clear thesis and, and strategy that they were deploying and then to the team and the the partnership and collaboration, particularly in venture, these are marriages. I've I've been married now for a good a good while, but some of these venture funds we've committed to will <laughs> will be around as long and longer than some marriages are, right? So 
do you have that conviction in how these partners communicate, how they make decisions, how they collaborate and connect with each other? That to me, the strategy, the team, um, how they work together are essential to why we had confidence in what Magnify is continuing to build. So looking ahead here, um, as you think about your impact Mm -hmm. and the work that you all do at Pivotal Ventures, five years down the road, having the same conversation, maybe in the same studio. Yes. (laughs) I hope we will see movement in the stats. We'll be talking about more success stories, more examples of women that are leading billion dollar franchises and firms, founders that have exited successfully, created wealth for themselves and for their families and for their um, employees. That, that to me is what I hope we're talking about, that there are just more and more of those stories. It's not just one or two. Um, and that young women and girls that are interested to your opening question, Sarah, of, of, of wanting a career as an investor, don't just have the one book to read or the one person to look at. They can see dozens of examples of that success. At the Midas list, the Forbes Midas list has way more women <laughs> on it than it does today. Those are some of the things I'd love to see when we're sitting here five years from now. Yeah, intangibly, I mean, what does success look like for pivotal ventures? You can't uh, track what you don't don't measure. I firmly believe that. So success for us is seeing movement in these big macro indicators that we're tracking as it relates to women's participation in the political sphere, controlling investment capital, in the tech industry, closing wealth gaps, et cetera. So that's success for us is is seeing meaningful movement and more parity on some of those areas over over the next five, 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've covered a lot of ground here um, and a lot more that I wish we could. What is one angle that you think we haven't covered here that was important for us to bring to the fore? It's been a great conversation. If one thing I would point to, you were asking around you know, how folks can activate more capital. And I, I would just come back to that. I, I think we need more. We're not going to solve this at Pivotal by ourselves. That's why we believe in partnership and collaboration with other like-minded funders and investors alongside us. So I just want to leave the listeners with, you know, hopefully you've seen and, and your interest has been piqued about some of the, the things that we're doing and come join us. Uh, it's, if you're not investing, if you're not trying to solve some of these problems, it's, it's a huge opportunity and, and we'd love to see more people working with us alongside us. But before we end here, yes, yes. my favorite section of the show, the rapid fire of billion dollar questions. So okay. the first thing that comes to mind Okay. It's usually the right answer. Are you ready okay. to this? I, I think so. <laughs> All right. Here we go. This is for you, person. Fill yes. in the blank. Success is? Impact. Failure is? Oh, um, not not trying, not, not pushing. So much of your work, Erin, is about women's full potential. Have you reached that full potential? When do you think that would be, if not? Not yet. I am on my way though, but it's a lifelong, it's a lifelong journey. So I'm excited for what's to come. Your most used app on the phone right now. Ooh, it's a toss up between the New York Times and Instagram, probably. Ooh, <laughs> very different. Yeah. Like it. it sounds very familiar. Money or power? Power. What keeps you up at night still? I have a very regimented sleep regime, so I sleep pretty <laughs> pretty well, but I would say thinking about my kids, just, you know, the world that they, they might inherit from a climate perspective, a, 
a social justice, you know, kind of equity perspective, that's that, that, that we're moving, you know, slowly and, and not setting them up for success, but that younger folks are fighting and, and are not satisfied as well. So, so that keeps me up at night, but at the same time gives me hope too. Worst advice you've been given? Ooh, worst advice um, to, to just wait to that, like, don't pursue your things, they're your dreams, your passions, like you got to wait to get to it, just go after it. Best advice? Um, have fun in what you're doing in your work and in your life. What's an unconventional opinion that you hold? Sadly, still that people should be investing more in women <laughs> to our conversation earlier throughout the podcast, Sarah, that, that you know, we need more people uh, getting capital in, into the hands of, of women. Yeah. What's the most significant thing you've changed your mind about over the past decade? That, that there is such a thing as work-life balance. I, I don't think that there is. I think you're, we're all constantly every day just trying to do our best. And some days you're great at home. Some days you're not. Some days you're maybe stronger at work. Some days you're not. And that's that's okay. So that kind of having it all, having that work, work-life balance, I think there's just always that tension and the trade-offs. And I've, I've learned and appreciate that differently today than I did 10 years ago. And finally, I guess years later, what will your legacy be? My legacy will be more, uh, again, impact women's us achieving more power and influence for women so that my daughter and my son too, but my daughter see a world that looks very different from the one that, that I grew up in, that, that my parents grew up in. That's, that's my legacy. Wow. And with that voice, choice, power, women's power and influence, Thank you, Erin, for the work that you're doing and your leadership. Thank you, Sarah, so much for your questions, your time, your passion as well. This has been such a fun, fun opportunity to be with you this morning. Thank you. And finally, where can everyone find you in the work that you're doing, actually? So you can find me on uh, Twitter, on LinkedIn personally. You can follow Pivotal Ventures on many social channels, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. Um, check out our website as well to learn more about those levers that we're pulling and some of our partners and, and how to join us in our work. And thanks so much for tuning in this week. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow our socials on Sarah Chen Global to get the latest on the show. It would really help me out too if you enjoyed this to rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts and share your favorite episodes with a friend. I'm Sarah Chen Spellings and you've been listening to Bill and Dollar Moves. <laughs>